My name is Richard. I am one of the uh, pastors at uh, Crossway Christian Church, and uh, it is my pleasure to be with you this day. We're going to continue on in our series um, in the book of Matthew, and I would like us to uh, be focusing today on Matthew chapter 26, if you want to be turning there. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. And in this series, we have been focusing on Jesus. And that will continue today. And as I was uh, thinking through the message this week, um, I remembered that in the past, I really wasn't much of a history person, didn't care much for it. But uh, history is uh, affects us in so many ways. It doesn't have to be just facts, but even simple things. Because we're going to be talking about eating and food. And naturally, that's been around since the beginning of man. But what we have done with food and that time together can be so many different and significant things. It can be a festival a celebration, a remembrance. It can be something that we do uh, to entertain others and get to know them. In the uh, courting time, uh, a gentleman might ask a young lady to accompany him, and with her presence and being willing to share that meal with him, he is then willing to pay for that meal. What a great deal. The problem with that is, in our humanness, the guy is sitting there and wondering, now, have I got any sauce on my face? Is that why she's looking at me like that? But to get a little more serious, what we're going to be looking at today is how Jesus was unpacking and telling his disciples about a meal and using that and the significance of it. It wasn't something new to them. It was called the Passover meal. And in the verses that proceed where we're going to be reading today, uh, Jesus had already told his disciples to go and make ready the Passover meal. He instructed them specifically what to do, where, who was going to be in attendance. Make no mistake, Jesus was the authority figure. And it was going to be conducted as he said. But in understanding that also, we realized that there had been uh, centuries of tradition in how the meal came about and what happened at it. In today's scripture, we're going to see a difference takes place. So I now read from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Now, if you're here today and you do not have a Bible, there are... Uh, Bibles under the chair in front of you, and if you use one of our Bibles, you will find the scripture on page 832. And I read from God's Word. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink 
again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. First of all, I'd like us to understand and look at, uh, as we see God's word and try to understand it better, that Jesus had a prayer of thanksgiving. Twice in this time, a prayer of thanksgiving. Actually, everything that Jesus did, he did an undertaking with prayer as part of what he would do. He wasn't new to praying. He would take time with his disciples. He would go by himself and spend time in prayer. This was not new, but in this setting, we see that even in the midst of all that was going on, that he took time and he prayed. Now, his time with his disciples was getting short, and he was going to enlighten them again, tell them about what was going to happen in the very near future. But and also, we have to understand that this time of prayer was something that he would not miss. We see before, when he was feeding others, the 5,000, it wasn't just passed out and given to people. What he did was he took time and he prayed and gave thanks. The prayer that he probably used for the bread went something like this. Praise be to you, Yahweh, our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. That's not a direct quote from any place in the Bible, but what we do know about the Passover was that it was something that had been done for many years and is still being done today. And we can, from that, see how as historians have said, this is probably what would have been said. That there was a God that they were praying to who was responsible for this food coming to them. They would know that God had been faithful to this people, this Israel, from years past. How he had taken them out of a situation in Egypt as slaves and brought them to a promised land. How he had said, you will commemorate what I have done with a meal. This is what they were doing together, having this meal. And there was bread. Likewise, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and was praying, he was also showing his faithfulness to God himself. He was, nonetheless, and very a matter of fact, the promised Messiah, the Christ. But he also prayed when the cup was there. That prayer maybe would sound, Blessed art thou, O God, our Lord, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. He prayed for what he was thankful for, this food. But we have to understand that it wasn't, they weren't there to take and be fed to remove hunger for a physical means. It was to celebrate what God had done for them in the past. And he was willing to be thankful for that. But when I was thinking this through, what really struck me about a time of thanksgiving was not what he prayed for, 
But here Jesus was, and why did he pray? Why would Jesus be so driven to want to pray to his heavenly Father? And the answer, I think, is striking. It was because he was in submission to the Father's will. Even in the midst of what was going on, and knowing what he had to relate to his disciples, he was being obedient to the call on his life that his Father had put there. That's what it has been about week after week that we've looked at Jesus Christ. In the messages that we saw about his baptism, his temptation, about his authority, his mission, the glory that Pastor Joe spoke about last week, God's, the Father's hand was always upon it. This is my beloved Son. For us, what does that mean? We can tell and equip our children, teach them how to pray, even as basic as time at a time of eating. Let's give thanks for this bread, for what we have to eat. And they can understand that. That's the what we're doing. The why is we should be as submissive to the Father as Jesus was himself. That should be what motivates us to this thankfulness. And it was for Jesus at this meal. We also see that now that Jesus has spoken these words, a new significance comes to basic elements. Jesus makes a very profound statement. Listen to what he said. He took bread, broke it, gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to focus first on the phrase that he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Few few clauses of four words have sparked more debate than this one. We could spend a whole time of unpacking just what that would mean, not only then, but today. I want to focus on what the disciples were experiencing and understood that day. At a minimum, they would see three things. The words, this is my body, was not part of the Passover meal. If everything had been going according to plan, the way that the Passover meal was to unfold, and Jesus now has said that this body, this bread, is resemblance of my body, that would have gotten their attention. That was not there before. Both breaking and distributing are significant, uh, much like in 28 and 29, speaks of sacrificial overtones. What we see is now Jesus is telling his disciples what the body is going to represent. A body that was broken for them. Also, as Israel would associate their deliverance from Egypt with eating unleavened bread, so also the Messiah's people are to associate Jesus' redemptive death 
when eating this bread by Jesus' authority and ownership. A few thoughts about this is. There again, if we tried to put that in the context of today among people that take this scripture and use it for a time of celebration like we will be doing in in the near future. Nothing has separated people more than this. This is. But let's look at it from just the perspective what the disciples would have known of that day. This is. First of all, in the original language, the is would probably not have been there. They were speaking Aramaic, and that verb, is, would not have been connected probably with those words. So it would have read, this, my body, this, my blood. Also, the disciples were there and saw no physical change between the bread and the wine and the cup. If there would have been, something in these narratives that we see in God's word would have said that they were amazed, that somehow that those elements had changed. They started out in that meal as uh, bread and wine, and they stayed exactly that. Also, the Son of God was true man, Uh, in man form and can only be in one place at one time. What do I mean by that? God incarnate in this man, Jesus Christ, was just that. True God, true man. His body was also, by the simple fact of being a man, came under the properties and the things that only a body can do. It can only be in one place at one time. The disciples would have known enough scripture to know that there were quotes from the Bible that would have said things like, the seven good cows are seven years, as it says in Genesis. You are the head of gold in Daniel. The field is the world in Matthew. I am the gate for the sheep, John. I am the true vine. God's own words. As Jesus had done in the past, he is creating a vivid object lesson. The bread symbolized his crucifixion in his broken body. Now the cup. For this is my blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus had just said so much in so few words. But we have to understand exactly what he was saying in those terms. The shedding of blood, the covenant, the forgiveness of sins. The Jews knew well what the shedding of blood was like because they had been sacrificing animals for decades, for centuries. It was an atonement for the forgiveness of sins. The one thing that we need from God is forgiveness of sins. And the shedding of blood was under God's covenant the way that it would happen. 
the atonement for it. The covenant had always been and will always be, I am your God, you are my people. Whether they were in rebellion and wanted to act as God's people or not, that is exactly what was happening. They were a covenant people. Exodus 24, verse 8 says, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Listen to what D.A. Carson says about that. This means that Jesus understands the violent and sacrificial death he is about to undergo as a ratification of the covenant. He is inaugurating with his people, even as Moses has done in Exodus 24.8, ratified the covenant at Sinai by the shedding of blood. We have to understand that Jesus is telling his disciples, this is the new covenant that's taking place. There will need to be no more sacrifices, no more shedding of blood, because I am going to be the Messiah that will give his life to shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. There are four accounts of the Lord's Supper in God's Word. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians, which is Paul's account, all of these say something a little bit different. In fact, in John, there's an account, but it has nothing to say about the eating of the food itself. But in that one, it talks about Jesus washing his disciples' feet and instructing them. But we see in Matthew, very specifically, what he says is what is going to happen, this body that is broken, this blood that is going to be shed, is for the forgiveness of sins. It is contained in all of them, but it is specifically said in Matthew. The disciples would see the evidence that Jesus spoke of in the near future. We have years to comprehend what God's work has done. We don't have, they didn't have what we have today. What they were being told at that time would take time to then play itself out in just a short week. And then they would have to have, understand how that would come about. The one that said he was going to die, would he stay in the grave? We're on the other side of the cross. We have God's word that explains it to us. And still, we as individuals, as Christians, still among ourselves cannot agree on this time at the Lord's table. We've seen that Jesus wanted to give thanks, and we have seen that elements took on new meaning. And lastly, we want to see God's redemption for the many and the evidence of eternal security. I read verses 28 and 29. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine 
until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. God has chosen his people. In Genesis, he created Adam and Eve, his people. They stayed in that relationship with Jesus, with God, not very long before they rebelled against him. They were his chosen people. He created them. They were to honor and glorify him. But they did not choose that. But God did not turn their back on mankind. By the time that Noah had come around, things were so bad, he said, I'm going to flood the earth. But he chose them as his people. And by the way, if you remember back two weeks, I now know that I said Noah was in the great fish. (laughs) Noah had a boat. Jonah was in that fish. So if you didn't catch that, um, never mind. Let me just say my wife did. At that time, those were God's people. And from there, he again made a covenant with Abraham and said, You will be my people and I will be your God. And that covenant has always been on God because we could not keep it. Until Jesus came, that covenant stayed in place. And now... By his atoning work, we can still be his people. And what this scripture is saying, it will be the many. What is the many? First of all, it is what I just said. It will be those that take and are willing to accept the free gift that God has called them out of darkness, enlightened them to the truth of who he is, the atoning work that was done through Jesus Christ, on the cross, his death, and has said, you are my people. He said the many. I don't know what the many is, but I do know it means those that were in the past, those that are here today that proclaim that promise, and as long as God tarries and decides when he shall end the world, there will be more that will be added to that group. And praise God that he is the one that is in charge. The promise is still true. I will make you as my people, and I will be your God. But eternal security, how do we see that? What does it talk about? It says that this Jesus, even at the time when he is telling his disciples what's going to happen, that he will not leave them. He will come back for them. They will be in his presence. He is eternal. We are not. He has no beginning and no end. But we that are called out by him will have no end with him in his presence. And by knowing that, he has told us that he will come back for us. And I don't know how it will look in heaven, but he says 
that again I will drink that cup with you. I will be with fellowship with you in heaven. Do we understand what peace of mind that should give us? That God has not allowed us to think that this insignificant life that we have and the whatever days that that commercial about pure Michigan tells us we have to wake up, 25,000 or whatever it is, that that's a drop in the bucket to the tens of thousands of years that we will have in his presence because of the atoning work that Jesus Christ has done. What we see in our scripture today is the time of Jesus' ministry is drawing to a close. Yet while he was about to face his ultimate purpose, the devastation of the cross, he focused on preparing and equipping his disciples so that they will be able to understand and continue his ministry. This is a message for us still today. We are to continue Christ's ministry. Brothers and sisters, God did not tell us to celebrate his birth, nor memorialize his life, or even be amazed by his miracles. He told us to remember his death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your plan is greater than anything that we could ever fathom. That your mercy is deeper than any ocean. And that your love for us, love for us is so vast. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray again that we are, our, heart, our hearts are humbled by what you have done for us, Lord. Continue to draw us closer to you. Equip us for your service. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.